This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. It's the TV Time Machine. Matt and I are back on board. I'm Luke. He's Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello, Luke. Hello, Matt. Um, it's February 1999 as you join us. The weather's not too great for Matt, but really warm and sunny for me. I How just... do you know what the weather's like for me? In 99, I imagine February is a pretty fair assumption that in February 1999... Oh, in 1999. It... We're on the time machine, Matt. On Play the, the time game. Machine. So where are you in the time machine? Where are you in where 1999? Are, where are um, we in the show? We're in February 1999, ladies and gentlemen. Just, 25 years in the past. I just landed. Previously on the TV time machine, Luke and his family were stranded in Wales because of an airline strike. Yep. And confined to the car for entertainment. That was just you? <laughs> yes. Not the whole family? No, but it was a small <laughs> car. <laughs> uh, landed on the 14th. 15th was President's Day, which is a day off. Mm. I still don't quite understand. Or Family Day in Canada. I know this. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. The next day we're going to school for the first time. And how did that, how did you sort of do in an American school? Because I know you've told me before some sort of thing that you had to prove that you'd done certain things to exams or something like that. They're all about credits and you need a certain number of credits to graduate on time. They just didn't know how to transfer what I had done in the British school system into their system. So I just about did it. The assumption I had watching Saved by the Bell and California Dreams and all these terrible high school shows written and directed by Peter Engel, that school would be, you know, starting at 11, finishing around 4. I had algebra at 8 a.m., which was a terrible shock. I remember them being taco trucks in the in the playground and McDonald's trucks there. You could when you get your lunch money, you just go up your restaurant of choice and just buy whatever you fancied. It was a real culture shock that first day at, at the school. I have to say, my favourite class was I wrote for the school newspaper, which was really okay. fun. I again, I don't know how I get. I did a sports radio show. Once and then I ended up review um watching a load of football games and writing about those and I still don't understand American football. So you could have gone down a very different path then if you. Yeah. <laughs> was this for the school paper? Yeah, for the school Reviews. paper, which was a strangely big deal to the school. I remember them being printed and everybody knew who I was because I was on the school paper and the first article I did was about moving to the US and that was. Well received. It was Hart High School in California, and their um, mascot, football mascot, was like an American Indian, probably not very PC. And the um, school newspaper is called was called the Signal, as in like the smoke signal. I remember going to cheerleading rallies that they had to cover those. Very bizarre because I was not the right person to do it, but it was fun. And I I wonder if if there's some sort of archive of your. Have you ever looked to see? I if never you... looked. I know. I I went on the website not that long ago when we started doing the time machine and found out they've got a podcast now. It's weird yeah. though that you did all that and it, it could things could have turned out really differently. Um, they? <laughs> so what was your TV diet then? Do you remember what? Did you watch much TV? I don't remember doing it as a family like when we first got there, but I remember being surprised. 
that all the shows that my sister and I would watch after school on Disney and Nickelodeon, like Sister, Sister, Smart Guy, Boy Meets World, all of those were on in prime time at like yeah. nine, nine o'clock at night, which blew my mind because I always thought they were sort of kids and young teen shows. But no, these were prime time, nine o'clock. We didn't have HBO, but I was aware mm. quite early of the significance and the discussion around things like The Sopranos, which had started three weeks prior. And Freaks and Geeks, I said at the time, had been filmed at the school. They were still filming it on the day I got there. My stories are just like, yeah, I was still at rehearsing for the school yeah, play. Yeah, mine would be the same. It's only because we had this ridiculous life change at a weird time. Otherwise, mine would be of my GCSEs, etc. All right. Well, I didn't. <laughs> well, no. Spoiler. No. Spoiler for August. Yeah. No, I think, like, once we get to autumn and I start college, I think there's sort of more. But I think at this time, you know, as I say, I was focused on probably the school show more than my GCSEs, yeah. if I'm honest. I, I think Heat Magazine came out around this time. And yeah. that was quite exciting. Do you remember and the it, shows we're talking about? Did they permeate your life? I remember there was a bit of hype around. Do you want to talk? Do you want to mention what we're reviewing? We can do. Well, I'm yeah. reviewing three and Matt's reviewing four. That's how yeah. this week's going to work. Yeah. I mi- I misread, stroke, didn't read a message. I am going to be involved in the conversation surrounding Queer as Folk on Channel 4, Days Like These on ITV, and Mrs. Merton and Malcolm, or Malcolm and Mrs. Merton on the BBC, which all debuted, as is the remit for this particular podcast, 25 years ago this month. Actually, in saying about Heat magazine, I remember reading articles about days like these because of it being a um, remake of that 70s show. And it was was prime time as well, initially, anyway, half past eight on a Friday night. So I do remember watching it. I think it got shunted around the schedules quite quickly, thereafter because i don't think the ratings were particularly healthy mrs merton and malcolm i remember being on because i remember watching mrs merton and the royal family i don't know if i'd equated the two i think i knew it was craig cash and carolina hearn but certainly remember mrs merton and queer as folk i remember my friend talking about who i met at college so i remember her talking about it after it had been on and I think I what as a result of that I watched the quote unquote second series, which was two episodes. Even though I don't think I'd watched the first series, I think I've subsequently watched it. I think it's been repeated right. since because E four came around in two thousand one. I wonder if they repeated it on there at some point. And the fourth show, which we'll mention briefly, Boys Unlimited. Again, I remember it being on, but I don't have any like. The, the other sort of similar thing we reviewed, The Young Person's Guide to Becoming a Rockstar, I remember watching that at the time, but I, I don't have any strong memories of watching Boys Unlimited, but I think I did. I do remember it. But first, you want a little bit of news, Luke? Of course. I've only got a little Why, why do you think I come here? I don't know. <laughs> really. Make up the numbers. <laughs> so as I mentioned last month... um. Kelly Brook replaced Denise Van Alton on uh, The Big Breakfast. I have found a review from The Guardian of Kelly Brook's 
first appearance on The Big Breakfast, but this is a really sort of derogatory, as you can sort of imagine, maybe a derogatory um, review of her. I mean, I remember her not being great, but she was only 18, you know, when she started. That seems Um, a bit cruel to drop her onto something that big and mainstream at that young age. It says, she arrived as if she was royalty and as if the staff of the show had not met her before. It was John who told us we were standing at the dawn of a new era, although the new era turned out to be rather like the old one. It's not easy to take such a starring role in the show. You have, for example, to know when to shout, yes, 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 and go, ooh, and when to laugh if Johnny says something, you giggle. You know it's funny because Johnny said it. If Johnny says chopper, that's really funny. If Johnny says organ, well, you want to split your sides with mirth. Kelly has got the hang of it. She giggles as if she's being paid a tenner for every titter. Earlier on, it mentioned she's being paid £200,000 for her role here. But she has got more to offer. She has her gestures. Now and then, she waves her arms around. She has a bit of a trouble responding to Johnny. Any human being would. He asks every ten minutes how she's getting on and introduces her all over again in case you have just switched on. How's it going, Kelly? I'm very excited. It's pressure, but I am calm. Everybody's been lovely, she said, and her elaborately made-up lips stretch into another huge grin. Interestingly, Kelly likes dogs. I've got two little Yorkshires and a Tibetan terrier. She doesn't like Asterix, but she does like Tintin, perhaps because he has a dog too. In the new section of the show, and it goes on like that, really. Um, Oh, wow. I mean, at the start, it says, she was on the cover of the Daily Star yesterday in bra and knickers, hopelessly overdressed by that organ standard, but look at that figure. No, not that one. This one, £200,000, the amount Kelly is now said to be earning for holding her clipboard next to Johnny Vaughan and giggling at his jokes. Not bad for an 18-year-old. I do feel we're at a time for British quote-unquote journalism where it's all snarky and... I think we've gone back. Oh, I see. I don't know because I don't look at many papers, so I hope I hope you can't read other than that book about the caterpillar. Mm -hmm. Like I stopped doing bad reviews a while ago because they make. When you say bad reviews, you mean slagging stuff off on Twitter, don't you? No, I I, that's very true. I should qualify. I still do bad reviews, but I don't review things that I think are bad. The, the, the two things are very different. Sometimes, if you're on the podcast, in oh yeah, but I think you're quite. Balance, but on Twitter you can't be balanced because no. you've got only no. well you used to only have a few characters yes uh, to work with so it was either this is good or this is awful yes and I've stopped doing that just because it doesn't add anything to the conversation and you've been told off oh yeah but I didn't to be fair I didn't stop after I was told off yeah there's there's no point in that and that's just so snarky and. That article doesn't tell you how good or bad she is. It's just mocking and sneering, and that's awful. I mean, I'm not her biggest fan, really, but that just seems really mean-spirited. and Especially the... that she was 18 at the time. I know. It... They they don't give any credence It reminds to that me of the sort of the Jay Goody stuff as well, and, you know, obviously she was put on TV to be made fun of. Her intelligence level wasn't great, I think. People warmed to her initially and then turned on her quite quickly and obviously all the sort of quote-unquote racism stuff. Not the racism stuff later in life, but being put on on TV to be made fun of, she was able to turn that around. Mm. Really, but, I don't know whether it was her charm or her PR firm, but she was able to win people over. But again, she was only 20, I think is my point. That these people are quite... And I suppose it goes for, like, you know, pop stars as well. Yeah. Young, like, 
take that and the Spice Girls. And I mean, yeah. people are knocking you on your first show straight away before you've even got into the flow. And I don't, I don't think she lasts the year. I think Lisa Tarbot comes in at some point in the year. Just looking at that, it is just horrendous. Yeah, vitriolic and mean-spirited and just completely unfair. And you'd hope it wouldn't happen today, but I don't know. I couldn't say. I think the Big Breakfast was lightning in a bottle, and it managed to be lightning in a bottle twice. And for it to do it a third time, going to be unlucky, I suppose. The other thing that seemed to be going on in February was there was a lot of controversy over uh, fake guests on TV talk shows. The Vanessa show on BBC One and the Trisha show on ITV was caught up in a fake guest controversy. There was an agent who who was supplying guests to the Vanessa show. Several production staff were suspended and later sacked. But on Trisha... The show's editor denied any of her team were aware that the guests were fake. I think on on um, Vanessa, the, some of the team were aware. Those shows don't exist now, do they? I, I suppose since the demise of Jeremy Kyle, the whole sort Not, of talk, yeah, the, talk the, sort show. Of the real life. Yeah, they um, just don't exist. Um, and I think that might be, as you say, a reason why. Like aftercare is a big. Is a big yeah. thing now, isn't it? Yeah. I think that the nearest thing, I suppose, is what Jeremy Kyle does. Not Jeremy Kyle, Jeremy Vine does yeah. on, on yeah. Channel fine. 5. Jerry Springer was on at 10.30 in the morning. Mm. Midgets attacking each other and all sorts of things happening. And those um, daytime soaps were quite raunchy, weren't they, as well? Yes, yeah, they would have a different, different thing altogether. Those sort of shows can't exist now because... They need to look after people better. and Do they, they still exist they in the States? I don't think they do, you know. Maury retired not that long ago, so his show's not on. What yeah. they love over there is those court shows. They're still mm. on, Divorce Court, and, and Judge Judy's still raking it in. But those sort of final thought, shouting, yeah, DNA like... testing shows, they're just... Tear away teens. Yeah, you don't know Whatever, me. Whatever, I'll do what you, I want. You don't know me. Those sort of <laughs> things, and I have to say, I blooming love those, don't <laughs> exist anymore, but I would always watch Tear Away Teens, Obese Teens, always. I was just thinking of the South Park episode with Carmen. Yeah, yeah. You don't Whatever, know me. I'll do what I want. Why can't we review and... one of them one day? What, South Park? No, uh, one of them Tear Away Teens. Tear Away Teens. Um, I think they were all on, like, living TV and stuff oh, okay. like that. I'm sure they were. Okay. When I sort of had days off from uni, I would just watch whatever's on sort of satellite. You watch day. whatever you want. I'll watch what I want. <laughs> and now back to more kids who are out of control on the Mary Poppins Show. Our next mother is Leanne Cartman. Her son claims to be the most out of control kid in the world and says there's nothing his stupid mom can do about it. Aww. Mary, I am out of control. Yeah, I use drugs. I can do what I want. Yeah, I have sex and I don't use protection. It's my hot body. I'll do what I want. I don't go to school and I kill people. Whatever. I'll do what I want. The sad news, Luke, I know this will hit you hard because we know some of the things that um, you did during your youth. Noel's house party will be axed after eight years. Was this because people have grown tired? Dwindling ratings. Most recent edition of the show drew an audience of less than six million. 
God, and we'll finish when its current run ends on the 20th of March. So it literally, mid-run, yeah. Yeah, like, no, they announced it was going to be axed. That was a mainstay for us, but obviously... These well, things... you, you were in a helicopter with Mr. Blobby or something, weren't you? Yes, of course. That's what I mean. <laughs> what was not everybody? <laughs> I do what I want. <laughs> I'll go in a helicopter with Mr. Blobby, whatever. I'll do what I want. <laughs> I'll do what I want. Well, we're going to begin with the show that I watched. Luke didn't um, because he can't read. <laughs> he just read half of a message that I sent him. We were talking about reviewing Sex and the City, but then we thought probably two guys, not the greatest without having at least some sort of female perspective on it. So one of the shows we bandied around talking about initially was Boys Unlimited, which was a mockumentary about the formation of a boy band. After sort of having watched it, I, I did a bit of digging and, and found out that it was created by and written by Richard Osman, uh, along with Matt Lucas and David Williams. They were spoofing, as I say, the boy band, the Boys Unlimited is the is the name of the band. It's the putting together of the band. The the big sort of name in the cast is James Corden, uh, who plays basically the Gary Barlow role, uh, Gareth Jones. The fat one that writes the songs is basically what they call him. But he won't actually write any of the songs. <laughs> you know, they do all cover versions. But Gareth, the character, gets quite hurt when he realises that they won't be singing any of his songs. Uh, there's also a joke where they change the name of uh, one of the boy band members from, I think it's like Giles or Glenn or something like that, to Scott Letissier. Uh, one of the other boy band members is called Nicky Vickery, which I quite like. That I works. Like that works. It was quite funny, actually. I mean, the the manager character is is called Nigel Gacy, which again I think is a coded for Nigel Martin Smith, who was Take That's manager. And actually, having recently watched, there was the Take That thing earlier in the year where I can't remember what is it Real Stories where they watched yeah. clips of Dermot O'Leary, and actually that was a real thing with Take That that initially. Gary Barlow wanted them to do all of his songs, but then he was convinced into doing covers initially. The first joke that made me laugh is that uh, music manager Nigel Gacy, who made a lot of money in the 1980s by st- by stealing rare bird eggs, which I thought was a great opening gag. It is done as a mockumentary. Joe Wiley is the narrator of it. So it is all done straight as as all of this is. I think some of the gags landed, some of them were quite obvious. There's a great joke as well where the manager is getting all the parents to sign the contracts and obviously he's trying to sort of stiff them out of most of the money and he brings in this guy that um, he says, he is going to replace any of your sons in the band if you do not sign these contracts so they sign them really, you know, like in 10 seconds. So they all sign them. And then it turns out the guy that he's brought in is a deaf mute. Oh, God. <laughs> There's this sort of recurring joke where the 15-year-old lad who's still at school has impregnated his 30-something-year-old teacher. And that doesn't really work. But, you know, it's one of those where if that gag doesn't land, there'll be another gag along in 30 seconds. I think the cast make it work through the energy I don't think it ever really sort of was successful. 
impactful, but I think you can see the Lucas and Williams influence in here and what would go on later. I think the the first series of Rock Profiles, which if people don't know, was a mockumentary series that used like real life musical acts and got comedy from them. Uh, started later in the year and you can see bits from that but I think it worked more using these acts and working from jokes that people had already made about them um but you know I enjoyed this it's only like you know 20 odd minutes without the ads and it's interesting like as we'll go on to now talk about days like these it's interesting to see where certain people who are now household names were at the time 25 years ago well I'm guilty certainly of thinking that these people just have a hit and are able to cash in on it. But with Williams and Lucas, they were clearly working their way up. And well, Lucas had already done well, um, yeah, shooting George stars, Dawes by this shooting point. Shooting stars and things. Actually, as well, I don't know if you were aware of this film. There's a film called Plunkett and McLean. Not at um, all. Not at all. In 99, it was a anarchic British film about two highwaymen. It had uh, Robert Carlyle and Johnny Lee Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, were the stars. Williams and Lucas were sort of two characters who were like a double act who were in prison with them at the start. It's a film that sort of stuck with me just because it was it was one of those that was quite anachronistic in terms of using sort of modern bits in this period piece. And Ken Stott was in it, Alan Cumming was in it. Interesting film of its time, but I, I remember Lucas and Williams being in that. But as you say, you know, these household names, they they work their way up, I think, through Rock Profile and then Little Britain after that. But yeah, this was them just writing it great. I think Os- Osman was the main creative force on this. A nice little tidbit as well in this is that they were looking for really sort of inappropriate songs for them to cover. They decided on A Little Bit More by Dr. Hook and then right. 911 covered it around the same time. And got to number one with it. And got to number one because, you know, the the lyrics of if your body's had enough of me and you're naked on the floor. It is an awful song. Yeah, but the, the lyrics are so inappropriate for a boy band, they thought, oh, that'll make a good gag. They'll never do that. Actually... Okay, so that is on um, Channel 4, as we are contractually uh, obliged to call it now. Well, it's all going to be online soon, isn't it? Anyway, yeah. as, we, yeah. as we've learned. Very so sad. Get so used that, to it. That is, boys. All right, I will. Calm down. Get used uh, to it, Luke. <laughs> I do what I want. <laughs> I do what I want. Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, they hadn't appeared on my radar until Peep Show, so I wasn't aware... Neither was I until we decided to to discuss this. They had taken the basic building blocks and fundamentals of the Fox comedy That 70s Show and transplanted them to ITV in a rebranded comedy called Days Like These. You say you say the basic building blocks. Did you uh, watch I, the I first have, episode I, of That 70s Show? No, I didn't in the end because, I, well, I thought I'd it's have more all... time. Almost word for word. Is it really? The I, w- same I wondered script. if it was. 
but with it... obviously the American references yeah. replaced by British things. It's set in, as Wikipedia puts it, the real life town of Luton, England in the 1970s. I mean, again, like the American one, there's the basement where all the kids hang out. The main character is Eric Foreman. His parents are having a party and he um, is tasked by his friends to go and get some beer. He then learns that he might be getting his uh, dad's old car because he's just bought a Toyota. And they are going to a Cockney Rebel gig. So he hopes he'll get the car so he'll be able to drive them. One of their friends has got a really annoying girlfriend, Jackie, played by Emma Pearson. He's going to dump her, but she sort of wangles her way into coming. We've also got the foreign exchange student, which again is is one of the characters in that 70s show. They run out of battery in the car. They have to exchange two tickets for a new battery. So that means that Jackie and... Is it Steve? Yes, it's Steve. Steve. Um, stay behind who's played by Ray Purchase himself Harry Peacock yeah that Um, blew my mind when I realised that (laughs) yeah so they go to the concert and in at the end the sort of the ship of that 70s show which obviously is transferred into days like these is that Eric and his neighbour Donna who here is played by uh, Rosie Marcel who people will know probably from Holby City they kiss and the insinuation is that they may get together. They might not. You know, that was the thing. The will they, won't they. Friday nights, this was on, on ITV, 8.30. It was cancelled after six episodes. 13 episodes were produced, but only 10 aired. I'm annoyed that I didn't watch the That 70s Show pilot because I had planned to. I wasn't a fan of That 70s Show. I didn't grow up in the 70s, so I wasn't really... Uh, going to be attuned to all the things they were referencing. But I think for any of those big studio sitcoms to work, which is what the American network model was built on in this era of television and going all the way back to the 50s, I think the cast have to be incredibly charismatic. I don't particularly care for Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis, Topher Grace, Laura Prepon, that whole group. But there's a reason why that lasted nine years and is reinvigorated on Netflix because that cast carried that material and elevated that material. The problem here is that the cast are really poor and because they are transposing Americanisms for Britishisms, it doesn't feel authentic. It just feels like they've done what Matt says. They've taken the majority of the American script and changed it in Tipex, pretty much, for a British cast and a British audience. Uh, didn't... We watched this on YouTube, and there's some yeah. fast, fantastic comments. Yeah, on the yeah. I don't know if you yes if you read them as well. It's like, Mum, can we have a that seventy show? But you've got a that seventy show at home. <laughs> <laughs> was one of my favorites. I did like that. It what, just that? felt woefully generic. The old saying is that the Americans can't remake British sitcoms. I saw a fair few remade in the time I was there and most of them didn't work because they forgot that the majority of them that work work because the cast have a charm and a connectivity between them and a spark that only happens when you get those people together reading the stuff. Mm. And you can't just remake something like Friends or coupling or whatever and expect it to be that 
the scripts are only as good as the people I, working with them. And I think there is a difference as well in the queue. And obviously, you know, you lived in both countries, you'll be able to talk to this more than I would. But there's a difference between a lot of the British sitcoms, the characters are very much anti-heroes. They're downtrodden. Mostly we're, we're downtrodden. Downtrodden. But, you know, if you think about your Victor Meldrews, your Del yeah. Boys, your Basil Fultys, even your Jim Royals, you know, they are all unlikable characters, but they have got that British charm to them yeah. to an extent. And it was only sort of with the HBO comedy with some, I mean, I'm thinking about Capobi Enthusiasm and yeah. characters like that, that you've got that sort of nuance. But with these studio uh, network comedies, you're talking about people having to be charismatic and delivering lines and having watched the American one, the delivery is what makes it Absolutely. rather than just the lines. The lines themselves aren't funny and it is a great example of TV comedy just because the lines are written the same and make people laugh. Yeah. That's only half of it. You have to, you know, have the delivery, have the chemistry. And, and the think, confidence to deliver it And properly. the confidence. And I think a lot of these performers on days like these are relatively new i think yeah i mean i, I obviously haven't delved into that I and they seemed uncomfortable with the material mm. and because they just transposed whatever band they were going to see into cockney rebel and stuff none of it felt particularly british it wasn't saying anything about england in the 70s i don't know how many houses in luton had basements for well, the... that's it that's what i was it's thinking the thing to... about the basement it's not really a british thing having if anything more sense like, if, yeah if they went into the loft the loft <laughs> yeah or i mean we had like a little like the room at the back of the house the almost two type thing yeah yeah rather than transposing it and like the diner that they hang out in felt very american but again it just felt like they they'd taken everything from America and and not thought about how can we represent Luton in the 70s and the issues that were happening. They just I, saw this was a hit and we can remake it and that's mm, the wrong attitude to have. I, and I think with Sam and Jesse as well, they were probably quite new just generally and probably this was just a gig for that. Oh, Obviously, absolutely. I don't know, but you know, this was very much two new writers. Do you want to have a go at changing bit? Is a tip X. Yeah. Right. British reference here. Apparently, like, you know, the Doctor Who bit where they're replacing, apparently, that was the Brady Bunch. Yeah. The insert where they do the Bee Gees, I think, is hooked on a feeling. It was built structurally like an American sitcom. And I think they just missed the mark of what they were trying to make. Although, saying that, the upper hand was that who's the boss? Who's the boss? And it ran for years and years. So I think maybe that was the thought that we've done it before. We can do it again. I think the upper hand ran for like seven years or something like that. Mm. That similarly had, you know, like the American house where people would just come down the staircase yeah. from nowhere. But again, I think that worked because, the you know, you had Anna Blackman playing the Randy Nan in that. You had a very young Kelly Bright as the daughter one of the McGanns, don't tell, don't ask me which one. I, I want to the, say Paul or Stephen. I'm Paul, not I think, but the chemistry between he and the and the female lead just were, you know. Yeah. Again, it's about the delivery, and I think with that having maybe delivery like, and chemistry it and is chemistry it. having maybe like a family sitcom work better than having a sitcom that has to be helmed by younger actors. I think that 
may be the problem. I do Joe think... Mag- and it was Joe McGann. Oh, God. Sorry, Paul. Sorry, Steve. I also think that they missed the mark with the parents. They were very mm. sort of stereotypical. Trevor Cooper from this, this country. country. But, I mean, Kurtwood Smith was there. Yes, Kurtwood Smith and Deborah Jo Rupp. They were very sort of kooky and became iconic for that mm. show. And they're the reason that that 90s show is going is because people love those characters and wanted to see them back together. They felt very thinly drawn in our version of it and very stereotypical sitcom parents, I suppose, that they sort of let it down. I think it's an example in how not to do it and to remember that you're writing for a very different audience who has very different experiences to the characters that you're writing from here. Yeah, I was just I was looking here at Jesse Armstrong's Wikipedia and it's not even mentioned it really. I mean they were writing uh for Smack the Pony, that would have been around the same time, and The Queen's Nose and yeah. My Parents Are Aliens, the kids shows. So, you know, they were probably just taking gigs for hire, really. So that is all on YouTube though. If you're a fan of that 70s show, you want to see how our version turned out. It's called Days Like These, and it was on ITV for six of its planned 13 episodes. Where do we go next on the time machine? Mrs. Merton and Malcolm is the is the next one by one day. Okay, so Mrs. Merton and Malcolm is a comedy on BBC One set around uh, the character that Caroline had portrayed in her chat show. And on the course of the chat show, she had spoken about her lovely son, Malcolm. Uh, he had appeared on several episodes of the chat show and Caroline Hearn got tired of the chat show, wanted to do something different and they went off and did the Royal Family. But I don't know when it would have been timeline wise. Could have been almost around the same time really, couldn't it? Because when was the Royal Family on? September of 98. So yeah, probably just after that, they did resurrect the Mrs. Merton character with Craig Cash reprising his role. And also, and this only came to me while watching it, they also appeared in several British gas adverts. I don't know if you remember I never, I don't remember those. I feel like I probably saw them. I couldn't remember what the adverts were for, but I was like, I'm pretty sure that the character of Mrs Merton and Malcolm appeared in British gas adverts. So I don't know if that was before one of them was him popping across the road to, like, the new couple, and one of them was, like, her friend, and there was this thing where... Her friend who's on her own, you can now give a password to British Gas. So if someone who's a gas man turns <laughs> up, you can you could confirm it is actually him and he's not trying to rip you off. So I think they... you should insert that here. I will do. I'll find it and insert it. Hello, Hello. Hello. What you here for? I'm here with my legs. How about you? I'm here with my Malcolm. He's at that age now where he likes to go in by himself. What's he got? It's private and personal. How's your gym? It's flared up again. Got head on it like a custard cream. And now the boiler's packed up. Well, have you not heard of that British guy sells your three-star service cabin? No. Well, if the heating breaks down, you can call them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they'll normally be round within the day to fix it. Really? And you know, they even give you central heating and annual checkup. Oh, ma'am, you're not still going on about British gas, are you? Well, I can't talk about your constipation, can I? <laughs> Come on, Malcolm, you've made a right fool of yourself. British Gas, Celsius, three-star service cover. I love them. So basically, it's a very straight-laced comedy about Mrs. Merton, this older lady played by Carolina Hearn, her bed-bound husband, who you don't see upstairs, 
Then you've got Malcolm, her sort of arrested development son. He's 37 at the start of the opening episode, and they celebrate his birthday. He gets uh, a jumper from his parents. Can I open my cards, Mum? Yes. Happy birthday, son. That's off me and your dad. Oh, that's not a swastika. That's your dad's cross. Oh, I think his pants slipped on a bit of phlegm. Bingo! Five pound postal order. Oh, who's it on? I don't know. Well, have a look, is it, Derek? Oh, it's off Auntie Morag. Now, don't go getting giddy, young man. You have to put that towards something. Don't go wasting it on pop and crisps. I won't. Oh, well, now you've got all this money. You might not want my present. Have you got me one, ma'am? Yes. Oh. oh, is that jumper you took me to see the other day? Yeah. Do you remember when I made you close your eyes in the middle of the shop? Yeah. Well, I popped over to the till and bought it as a surprise. I wonder why you made me try it on. Now you know. They have Mr Capstick, who lives across the road, who is an old friend of Mr Merton, who visits him regularly and keeps in contact despite him being non-verbal. It would appear from this opener that Mr Capstick is coming down with dementia he repeats several times that he won't be coming on Friday to see Mr Merton because he's got a hospital appointment to do with his dodgy ticker. He is just as amused as the audience as to why Mrs Merton and Malcolm behave like this strange mother-son combination who sort of live like he's eight years old despite him being a grown man. It's got a charm and a wit to it. There are lines well there's one line in particular that was i think ripped from a royal family episode where they talk about a car yeah the it's a company car it's, you only paid for that it's a company car uh i'm sure they have that line in an early episode of the well, royal it's family that, it's that one where they're looking at the car isn't it through the, the window yeah. yeah what kind of car is it it's, it's silver thank you jeremy bloody clark. clarkson <laughs> i know yeah. Let's not review the royal family. We've done that. I could already. do it every week. Um and, and the dialogue is very knowing and on the nose. So at one point it feels like this very generic, warm-hearted comedy plucked out the 70s and placed on BBC One in 99. But it's all very on the nose and all very knowing. It's always winking at the audience as to how bizarre this relationship is. There's a load of lines that made me chuckle. And I saw this much later. I think I saw it in 2008 for the first time when it was came out on DVD. And I was just, at that point, really obsessed with anything Carolina Hearn and Craig Cash had done. So I wanted to see their, their whole sort of back catalogue. And in the documentary that they put out over Christmas, which I urge anyone to seek out on the iPlayer, this was the one aspect of their working relationship that they didn't touch on it's almost as if it didn't exist i read the reviews on wikipedia and how snarky they were and how Mm. people really rallied against it and couldn't understand the character and i i was trying to picture what i would feel as somebody who really loved the royal family and then turn this on as their next project i probably wouldn't feel so enamored with it but i do think what they're doing is quite clever I enjoyed it. I I did. I've not revisited it since about two thousand eight. What did you think? I'm interested to know what you think because yeah. I'm still wrestling with how I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, me too. I I did a similar thing and looked did some context on this. 
maybe it was a little bit before its time in a way you mm. know what you were saying as sort of knowing obviously they put this on monday nights on on bbc one and actually did really well in terms of the ratings the first episode got like 9.3 million and i think it retained about 7 million throughout its run something like that but as you say the reviews were very much like um Time Out called it possibly the most disturbing show on television and didn't understand, like, the Malcolm character. There was things about, is he got mental illness? Is there sort of an incestuous relationship going on? They initially, I think, wanted to make, like, a traditional sitcom, but it sort of plays out a bit like a, a black comedy, almost similar to... Yes, League, League of Gentlemen. Yeah. I think maybe part of that is the lack of a laughter track, perhaps. You don't quite know where the jokes are, maybe. I liked Brian Murphy. Uh, you know, it needed another character, I think, to react to what was going on. I think, obviously, Craig and Caroline have got brilliant chemistry. But the problem was, I think, the Mrs. Merton character worked so well is because she was this unabashed person who would just speak her mind. And I think not having other characters to bounce off, I think it needed more people in it. I think yeah. the problem is that you are just in this space with these two characters. Yeah. So it is just about this relationship and you focus a lot more on Malcolm and that the weirdness of the relationship as a result. And it just makes you feel a little bit icky because, you know, you did have yeah, characters, it does. similar characters at the time, you know, uh, Father Dougal and yeah. Mr. Bean. And, you know, you can go back to Frank Spencer as well, but I think that's a different beast in a way. You know, he had a family. There are other sitcoms like Ronnie Corbett's Sorry, for example, but this is very much, she's still treating him like a 12 year old, you know, the things they're having to eat at the party. Yeah. Him wanted to listen to Chaz and Dave. Cause he puts rabbit on and I hated that sequence initially where he's, he's miming every word of the song. <laughs> Brian Murphy is Mr. Capstick and Carolina Hearn are just watching this and it just goes on for the entire thing. And by the end, what I did was, you think of this? I was the, really, the... Chuck, really chuckling by the end. And she says to him, were you being Chaz or Dave that time? So it's something he does regularly. Each joke goes on and on to the point where, okay, I'm laughing now. What did you think of the other musical city, the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? That, you that know, was I don't because all I want is you. I didn't enjoy that. A bit uncomfortable. It's just a but... bit weird. And I think either they needed something else to fill the space, whether that mm. be more characters, whether it be a laughter track. I imagine it's be... very cheap to make as well. Mm. Like it's a one, uh, you one know, set. A one set. Like so, obviously, it, it then bears the comparisons to the royal family. There's a few retrospective articles that I've read. Did you read them um, retrospectively? Well, retrospectively to this podcast, <laughs> yeah, I read yeah, them several okay, hours. Okay, well, that's good. I'm so not reading can, them now. We've completed the whole circle. Um, British Comedy Guide had one. I think there's another one as well. I think you you can find them if you go into the Wikipedia article for Missing Men and Malcolm. These ones have watched the whole series and the sort of recurring thing about the husband being bedbound and is there more going on there? There's a joke about, um, or a line that Mrs. Merton said, I wish your father would stop ordering these stairlift catalogues. Is he trying to escape? And um, yeah. there's the insinuation that apparently in the last episode where, spoiler alert, he dies, 
Brian Murphy's character sings Seasons in the Sun to him, which was about suicide. So did, did he commit suicide? You know, people may be reading too much into it, but I think it does have like a dark underbelly, but they oh, wanted to make they wanted to make a sitcom. So I think that the tone, and I think certainly for the late 90s, we were still in the early throes of things like League of Gentlemen, Brass Eye. You know, I think if this had come on today, I think it would be praised a lot more and seen a lot more rather than I don't know, I think we're, we're, we're more snippy now. They struck some sort of comedy gold in the royal family and changed the medium, and it still feels, all these years later, like something special. Like I, I don't know how that worked and why it still works. So I can't imagine going from that to this and thinking, oh, this is the new Craig Cash Carolina Hearn thing. I need to see what they've done this time. But then if you think about this, the royal family wasn't a big thing. It still no. wasn't the the thing it went on to be. And I think a lot of people only really cottoned onto it with the 99 Christmas special or the second series, which was on BBC One. The first series was this hidden gem for a lot of people, which was yeah. on BBC, BBC Two when it first ran. So I think more people would have seen this having not seen the Royal Family, having been aware of the Mrs. Merton character through the, her show. So actually, I think if you're looking at it through the, those eyes that people would have seen the Royal Family and then this, I think more people would have just seen, Mrs. seen this, Merton and then seen this. Mrs. Merton and seen this rather than seeing the Royal Family and then this. I am wrestling with my feelings towards it because I could see what they were doing and that there was more going on than first appeared. The, the jokes were there. It made me chuckle a couple of times. The Chaz and Dave scene, I was laughing by the end despite myself. And I think Mr. Capstick is a really warm character and you understand quite quickly that he's had a relationship with Mr. Merton and he's his only friend and... That's all very sweet. So it sort of keeps changing in my mind of what I think about it. I, but I don't know if you saw this that they had more plan that they yeah were they do were going to do a Christmas special, special, but then they ultimately decided just to focus on the royal family after this because of the backlash mainly. You know, there's an interview I read with Craig Cash where he said, "I don't want to put people off the Christmas dinner." So wow. um, tremendous. But it's an odd sort of timeline thing to think if. If this, this had been, been a more hit. success, would they have written that Royal Family Christmas special? What would it look like if these two had been on at the same time? I also you think, know. as I was watching this, and there's Craig Cash as Malcolm going, three Mendo things, and I was thinking, this is what Dave in the Royal Family sort of became. Mm. And I, I didn't like him. Um, no. When it went to BBC One, it became broader, like yeah. a lot of things do, like the BBC Two to BBC One you lose that subtle, you know, we saw it with Line of Duty. We, I think we, we've we seen it with The Apprentice as well. And other th I can't think of anything else off the top. I suppose Have I Got News For You maybe is the only thing that hasn't really well, Dra changed. Dragon's Den hasn't changed either. No, but but... You, I think when you make that jump, you lose a lot of the subtlety. And, you know, this character has to be like this. This character has, they need Which to be I more don't think archetypes. True, but there you go. Uh, again, another YouTube find. Uh, you can find all six episodes uh, on YouTube now. Where are we going next? Well, we can only go to the... the oh, fun. yes! <laughs> How did we get here so quickly? <laughs> uh, we are talking, of course, about Channel 4's 
revolutionary drama at the time. Uh, this is Queer as Folk, written by uh, Russell T. Davis, produced by friend of the podcast, friend of the site, Nicola Schindler. This is the drama that sent Russell T. Davis mainstream, sent Channel 4 mainstream drama, created a lot of conversation, good and bad. They did a big press screening where people were very sniffy and aggressive about it. But when the show starts, we meet Vince, played by Craig Kelly. We've got Aidan Gillen, Stuart Jones, and Charlie Hunnam as Nathan Maloney. So Stuart, played by Aidan Gillen, is this sort of Lothario, is out every night, different partner every night, really well-known on the scene, probably been with everyone multiple times and, and always up for a challenge and is a bit of an enigma. Charlie Hunnam's character, Nathan, is um, 18, we're led to believe. On his first night in Canal Street, he asks where is the best place to find people. He gets short shrift from somebody, but bumps into Stuart, who takes him home. It's and... uh, Shadrach Dingle from yes, Emmerdale. Yes, it is. Emmerdale yes, fans. it is. Yes. I think that actor's recently passed. Yeah, we don't talk enough about for Emmerdale fans <laughs> on this podcast. I'm sorry. Uh, he gets taken home by Stuart. Nathan is very naive. He's new to the whole scene. It transpires that he's actually 15 years old. Uh, something that doesn't repulse Stuart, but almost feels like a card he's punched and can get out of the way. Well, while all that's going on, uh, he gets a phone call from a woman. She's in labour and it transpires that Stuart has donated sperm so that this lesbian couple can have a baby. So he's somewhat a father now as well. Some reason he takes Nathan with him to the hospital. I didn't quite understand why you would do that. The following morning... Stuart and Vince take Nathan back to school in a vandalised car that has queer written all over it. They turn up at the boys' school. Uh, Nathan is desperate to see Stuart again, but he again acts as an enigma. That is basically how episode one ends. Pull in. He's going to school. Pull in here. I'll take him to the door. Stuart, they'll see the car. So... Lesson home economics. Fucking my Can I see you again? Let's just go. Can I see you again? You can see me now. Nathan, where have you been? Piss off. Oh, now, your little friend. I could meet you tonight. God knows where I'll be tonight, you know? I could be anywhere. I could be an Ipswich. Come on, boys, give us a kiss. I'll give you a good <laughs> fuck, you tight little virgin. You won't be laughing then. <laughs> we go in now, Stuart. Just shut your face and drive. Can I see you, though? It went on to win a ton of awards, a load of plaudits, uh, and it's really interesting viewing it 25 years later because, for me, it's still, for all the furore and shock, it's still explicit. It still feels like something we wouldn't necessarily get on mainstream television now from how it it, it explores sexuality and, and the scene and, and what people do and how they get together and how flirtatious and 
what did you make of it revisiting it yeah, 25 it's like years? Un unabashed sort of yes. trail, isn't it? It doesn't there's there's bashing later on, I think, but this first one yes. was yeah. they bash things out, definitely. But um, you know, not to do a big sort of diatribe or you know a, a dissertation on this but you know the last time machine we watched um gimme 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 and obviously the portrayal of the gay character played by james dreyfus in that was the very you know the stereotypical camp as christmas you know actor this is modern gay life in manchester in the 90s i think there was the shock of the sex scene between Stuart and, and Nathan, Nathan being 15, the scene where he's on the phone and um, Nathan arrives in Stuart's hands while he, while he's finding out he's a father. Certainly watching it now, it does have a certain innocence to it in a way, in terms of the maybe the, the characters, certainly the, the Craig Kelly characters portrayed almost as like this I suppose like us in a way. Was like, oh, really? Thank you. No, in terms of like being able to cast off these random facts about yeah. pop culture and you find out he's a, a massive Doctor Who fan and that's something that goes throughout the series. I think what's successful about it for me is is Aidan Gillen's performance. I think you can see the charisma on the screen and his, you know, you could feel why Stuart is such a enigma in the scene in the area why Vince has got you know a crush on him and I think that's something that plays out throughout the series it's unabashed it's got an energy to it I don't think there's anything that was cut really you know it's what he wanted to show is on screen I think it was criticized from both sides at the time obviously the mainstream press had a lot of issues with it I've certainly seen Russell at a few um, Edinburgh TV festivals. The 2019 one, they did a you know a 20th anniversary special about Queer as Folk and he and Nicola Schindler told the story about how Bex pulled their sponsorship of this halfway through and then wanted to sponsor them again when it, you know, it became this hit. And the gay press were saying, you know, that it's, he wasn't sort of tackling the AIDS crisis and stuff like that, but his his response was that he wanted to focus on the, on the joy of, of this life and the joy of being a gay man. And I think actually you could see him in the the Vince character more than the other two, I think. Not only the Doctor Who stuff, but the, you know, I'm getting older now, there's a 90s night, it used to be a 70s night. I still liked it. I think it, it does still hold up to an extent. I think maybe... If I were to be super critical, I think maybe Craig Kelly, his performance doesn't hold up yeah, to the no. other two. I have to say, some of his line deliveries were painful, mm. I think. But also, I have yet to be convinced that Charlie Hunnam can act. Mark Kermode, whenever he would talk about a film starring Charlie Hunnam, would call him Charlie Humdrum. It's just, yeah, it's the amount of young kids that they must have seen for this role. And for him to be the one... Although you say that, I know, again, going back to that thing, Russ said that I think... Oh, we're calling time, him Russ at this point. This is good. Russ. Yeah, yeah, my friend Russ said the actors felt a lot of backlash for this. And I think at the time, maybe, there wasn't as many young actors wanting to play this role Absolutely. as there would be today because of the nature of it, you know, because of that 
okay. sex scene in the first episode. I think I'll, maybe I'll take, people I'll, were reticent to take this on because of the backlash that they knew yeah. was going to come, you know. Okay. And I'll I think now... I'll take that on board. But I The did... critique now would be that he passed all straight actors in here. But yeah. I think actually, possibly, I'll, I'll counterbalance what you're saying. I think possibly Charlie Hunnam's best performance because he... He plays that in. I think he plays that innocence quite well in this. I think no, this I'm... sort of wide-eyed boy coming on the scene, certainly in this first episode, I thought that was played well. I think as he's gone on, I don't think he's improved as a performer. I mean, I understood the character. I understood his vulnerabilities. I understood his enamoured nature with Stuart. But as far as a performance to critique i just don't think the man can act i never have okay i mean shantaram jesus christ i just yeah. I, I mean awful awful performances in pretty much everything i've ever seen him in and i think it starts here although i take on board that i think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying about finding somebody with the willingness but to I, take I agree side. with with the craig kelly stuff i think i agree with that, the line delivery, I would I would give Charlie Hunnam a pass here because, a you know he was a young actor, but I think he play I think he played that well. I think if we watched it in '99, without obviously knowing without all of our what was Charlie, to come with Charlie prejudice, Hunnam, I think you would think differently at this. I think you would be more appreciative yeah, it's of that hard, performance. It's hard to do that, I suppose. Yeah, but I think the performance works well because of that innocence, because of the. Maybe the lack of talent, yeah. maybe, but I think it works. You know, him looking awkward in the background is what he needs to do in this, you know, yeah. is, is the Nathan character. I don't know how comfortable I was with Stuart bedding this 15-year-old, because I think if it's the other way around, we'd feel really uncomfortable. How many soap storylines use that I, yeah, you know, but I suppose then... I suppose it was the fact that all his friendship group were all fine with it. The two women who he gives the sperm to and fathers the child, they were all fine with him bringing this 15 year old. I suppose it's an accept I think it's an acceptable thing and obviously as well tells that story about how he was like basically raped by his PE teacher when he was 12, mm. Stuart, in the in the opening scene. Yeah. So I, um, I I think what I struggled with a little bit, and only a little bit, because it's all, it's all light and frivolity, and like you say, Russell trying to show you the joy of that period of your life. The music's very upbeat. Uh, I know it gets darker as it goes on. I've seen the whole thing a few years ago now. There's just aspects of the plotting here that didn't sit well with me, looking at it with critical eyes. The bedding of a young boy... And it made me think a lot about the first episode of Cold Feet because this starts with them sort of confessing stuff to camera like the opening scene of episode one of Cold Feet does. And I can't remember if that goes all the way through. I don't think it needed to be there because I think we got enough of the character. I, I, agree. I agree with you a little bit there. I, I yeah. do agree with that. I think we had a, a firm understanding of who these people were without them speaking directly to us. And I think that always is a bit of a niggle of mine because it reminds you that you're not being mm. planted in these people's lives. You're actually being presented something. I've never really liked that as a mechanism for storytelling. It's hard to look back on it and think how revolutionary it must have been, and it was. Mm. But in some respects, I feel like 
we've gone, I don't know, sort of full circle because because Russell's done It's a Sin, which managed to balance the joy and the utter heartbreak and tragedy of that whole period of time in history just before Queer as Folk would have started. We got we had Pose, which again was all about frivolity and being yourself and putting yourself out there and the dangers that that might bring to you. And I think Queer as Folk existing probably allows all the other things in the genre mm. that I've really respected and, to happen. So and you can't knock it too what much. you're saying about the influential nature of it as well, that 20 years of Queer as Folk thing that I went to, Owen Jones was there and Courtney Apt, and they were talking about how seeing this made them feel more comfortable because, you know, growing up both as gay teenagers you didn't see anything else like that on screen. They felt like they saw themselves on screen in that Nathan character for the first time and they felt more comfortable. So, you know, it's it's that thing about representation mattering as well and, mm. you know, feeling like actually there is this world outside me, uh, you know, and I, I can experience this. And I think, you know, in terms of the 15-year-olds, it being depicted on screen is quite truthful to what happens in the gay scene as well. I think these young boys do go exploring because it's not as easy. Straight teenagers will just, you know, meet in school and stuff like that and would sort of have a normal relationship. But, you know, Nathan can't do that. So he has to take these risks and meet these older men. And I think that's the story that he's told there. So I don't think I had as much of an issue with it, really. It would not be true to the story had he not included it, I think. Queer as Folk is all available now on Channel 4's online platform. In TV-wise, this was, it's a great time for Manchester on screen. And I think Nicola Schindler and Red Productions, I think this was her first commission. And I think she sort of set the landscape that Manchester was a big, Thing in drama, I know Cold Feet was set in Manchester. The royal family was was there as well, and I feel like dramas now have sort of lost their sense of place. And I think that's why I'm not connecting to them in the same way. Is that you knew where you were? They were telling stories about a specific person in a specific area. Now it's a drama about this thing has happened to this person. Doesn't matter where they are or their upbringing or anything about them it's just this thing has occurred to them it could have happened anywhere it could have happened in america for all we know and i don't i think we've lost our you, sense the, of you're, place. you're talking about like the netflix whole coburn i think anything on british television at the moment doesn't have that sense of place and sense of fun that those early reproduction stuff does like the the clocking off that would unless come it's like a Obviously, we've just reviewed the way, I think, unless it's like a Welsh drama or a Scottish yeah. drama. Shetland, um, Shetland, I'm just trying to think of... Shetland's, of got, Shetland's got a great sense of place. You just wouldn't want to visit because you wouldn't <laughs> last long. But yeah, I feel that's something missing and I think that's why I'm struggling to... Although, I know it's not something you'll ever watch, but Domino Day, that is set in Manchester and that had a real sense of this is in Manchester <laughs> because enough. I was like, I recognise that, I recognise that and... Certainly the BBC are committed to trying to portray do that again. And I think like Time, for example, that was very much set in the north. It was very much set in prison, from what I remember. In prison. But yeah. 
But that is the time machine for this week. Uh, oh, this well, why do we always do this gag, Luke? I'm thinking you're going to have your Mr. Capstick moment and and think you can't do it or you've no, forgotten we've got to it's do it. The, it's the final chart of February 99. Is any of this on Now 42? Three. Okay, I can quickly tell you my Now 42 story. About the fourth week in America, I was getting quite... Not homesick, but quite low because I couldn't do the things that I enjoyed doing in England. So I hadn't found a radio station I liked, nerd. I couldn't buy CD singles in the charts because they didn't exist. I couldn't buy TV shows on VHS because they didn't exist. There wasn't a market for it. We went to Virgin Megastore in Burbank. My parents convinced me to go in. I said, they won't have anything I like. I'm not... It's America. I don't like anything in America at all. And uh, they had now 42. They uh, they imported all of the British compilations and I found it. Hadn't heard a single song on it, listened to it and uh, got really friendly with everyone at Virgin Megastore, including Dave, who was this British guy who did a radio show within Virgin Megastore and did all the announcements over the thing. And I interned with him kind of in store in Virgin Megastore in Burbank. I think we should try and reunite you with Dave. I don't I don't know what his surname was. Oh. I've been racking my brains. But I remember we'd sit in the booth and talk for ages because whenever I went in, you, there's always like five or six celebrities in, in, in there with us. I said to him, you must see everybody here. Who, who did you get most starstruck by? Thinking he was going to say Tom Cruise, James Gandolfini. He said, do you know what, Luke? One day, Angela Rippon came in and I absolutely lost my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody else in the store had any idea who she was and he had a long conversation with her. But I loved going in there because you used to see a load of famous people all the time. Rhea Perlman, Danny DeVito, couldn't see over the counter. I remember that. (laughs) The CDs. This is a spin-off, this is. I remember the Osbournes in there. I, m- I met the Osbournes. Tales at... of the Virgin Megastore. By yeah, they don't exist now, of course. Dave, if you're listening, or anyone who works at the Virgin Megastore. In, in Burbank, Burbank in 99 to like 2006. Get in touch. One, two, three, four. So, top ten. Okay, so at this point I should preface, I had no access to the internet, really, yeah. to look this stuff up. And it was a real dark period. If I can do it... A lot of these are American artists, though, Luke, at least half of them. You'll have a good good shot, I think, of some of these. So we will start with number 10. This is a duet between a iconic British singer, male, who Mm. um, has recently retired, done his last live gigs, and at the time, a teenage country star. I don't know the title of it, but I know Leanne Rhymes and Elton John had a song. Yeah, the title is the same title as a Tiny Temper song of the early 2010s. Oh, yeah, written in the stars. There you go. Number nine, another new entry. This is a, I would say, a one-hit wonder. I think a favourite of Absolute Radio 90s. Mm-hmm. Single male singer... One word title. Any ideas? No, no, not for no. me. Um, I will. This will give it away. This clue. Something you sing to a baby. Oh, Sean Mullins' lullaby. Yes, that was one of the songs that was 
big on American I thought radio. it would be. As yeah. I say, these are... When were you there? Because you and I were there. At the 2000. Studio. Oh, okay. We'll do that. Number 2000. Next year's time machine. Me, Next me year's and time Matt machine. Collide. So number eight is on now 42. Yeah. Uh, American Solo Male. This is a song that was number one two weeks previous. Any Kravitz fly away? Bloody hell, Luke. I'm not, I'm not here just to turn up and only watch three of the four shows. Number seven, another new entry. This is a Swedish band. Aqua? No. Ace of Bass? No. I'll keep going then. Uh, sort of more alternative than that. Ooh, um, okay. Were Cardigans? On... Yes. Erase and Rewind? Yes. Thank you. Moving on. Although it is a raised slattery line, but I will let you know. Oh, that. come on. I'm tired. Um, number six is a four piece Irish band. We talked about them before. Familial band. They have got a song on now 42, but it is not this song. Um, Boys Own? No. Familial band. Oh, The Cause? Yeah. Runaway? Yep. Yeah. Love that song. Great little uh, pop song, that is. Number five, another new entry. The follow-up to the biggest selling single of 1998. Strong enough, share. Yeah. As I say, dark period. <laughs> number four is on now 42. Is a another alternative band from Wales. We've talked about them before on the charts. Stereophonics just looking. That's it. Number three, another new entry, massive female art, one of the sort of most famous recording female artists of... What? I always the, struggle when they're really famous. The 80s and 90s, died about 10 years ago. Oh, that doesn't help. They're, died about the, 10 years ago. Another song from this period, from this album, from this artist, mm. is the... Final song played in the final episode of Pose. Oh, God. Also... How did Pose end? This artist, also an actress, had a massive hit in 1992 with a cover, which was also... Oh, it's film. not right, it's okay, Whitney Houston? Yeah, that's the one. Oh, I, when they're massively famous, that's <laughs> when I struggle. When, when it's Swedish, cardigans... When it's cardigans, now you're in my lane. When it's Madonna or Whitney Houston. Highest new entry at number two is one of the biggest British bands of the 1990s. This was the first of three singles released from their album, which was also released in 99. The Manic. The album has a number. This is a one-word title. Any idea so far? The big British band of the 90s, one-word title... No, no ideas. Their al their album that was released in '99 is is a number. Yeah, yeah. This was definitely at the time the last album that was released before one of the band members left. This is a band in the same way that the Manics and Placebo. Yeah, yeah, band. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one of the biggest bands of the Britpop era. So is it? It's either Pulp, Blur, or Oasis. Yeah. If it's Blur, I don't know. Is it Tender by Blur? Yes, it is. Yeah. Sorry, I should have said it's on Now 42. <laughs> what was the number? I don't know what that album 13 was. 13 was the name oh, of the album. Okay. I didn't know that was what the name of the album was. And there's two more tracks from the album in 99. I think Coffee and TV and No Distance Left to Run. Or... Yes, that's okay. it. 
And then the next year they had their best of album, which Cheats. I have got. Cheats. And number one, you would have heard this a lot, a lot in America as well. Mm. Probably one of the best-selling singles in 99, a young female artist. Oh, Britney. Yeah. Hit me baby one more time. Or just baby yeah. one more time. That's the it? one, yeah. Second week at number one. As I say, dark period. <laughs> I think you did the best out of any. I know, I know. <laughs> it's the big female artist that's come for me. That is the time machine properly done. We enjoy doing these. We will do one in March. If you are enjoying these, let us know some way. You can get in touch via X, formerly known as Twitter, as they put in all the news reports about something that's been on Twitter. Uh, we're on Instagram as well. It's the Custard TV. The website is thecustardtv.com. Custard TV reviews with an S at the end at gmail.com. And you can find me at Luke Custard TV on Twitter and at Match TV Bites. Uh, the podcast itself uh, comes out majority of Wednesdays. Tell your friends we exist. If you love TV and things about TV that happened 25 years ago, then we're here for you. We're here for you, like yeah. the Samaritans. It's similar, except I'm less as long as it's TV or music related of a period. Otherwise, I can't really be much help to you. But any memories of this time as well will be not just Luke's. Any yeah. anything you remember about ninety nine about these shows? If you want to get in touch and tell us, were you um, on the newspaper? Did... did you also stand next to Danny DeVito? Yeah, I think we should we over? should try and. Are you friends with anyone on social media that you went to high school with? We didn't really have social media. No, I... no, but now, you know. Yeah, no, any... but... Because I'm friends with people from school that I haven't seen since school. Yeah. You know, you you find people, don't you, that you went to school with? Yeah, went I, to college it's with. names that I'm not so good at. If one of them was called the Cardigans... No, no, but like... Yeah, no, I'm how, not really. No one's tried to sort of, you know, the, the star of the school newspaper... On social media. Not really, no. I mean, but... please uh, seek us out and, and get in touch with your 99 memories. Hang on. There is what? a paper with my name on it here. No. 14th of June 2002. Hang on. Anyway. Oh, I am on listening. it. I am on it. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook.